Oh 
just give him glory right now. Hallelujah. We give you glory, Jesus. We give you glory, Jesus. We give you glory, Jesus. to worship the Lord together. Amen. Amen. We are so thankful to have Brother and Sister Berglund with us tonight. Amen. We're asking Brother Berglund to come. He's no stranger to us. We know the Lord is going to use him. And so open your heart and your spirit. That's what worship does, you know. When we worship together, it's a coming in unity. We're singing the same song. Getting our minds focused on Him, and it prepares our hearts to receive the Word. Amen. Brother Berglund, come. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. What a beautiful group here tonight. Amen. We look forward to this. I'm speaking with Brother Hart a while back. It's a topic that I very much enjoy, and I don't mind telling you it's a, sometimes a bit of a controversial topic. We're going to be talking about the rapture, and it seems that if you have been in the church, any church, for any length of time, you have ideas, and I have ideas, so I'm just going to ask if I can ask one favor tonight, you let me be the teacher, and you be the student, and just see if there's something you can take away from this, if there's differences of opinion. Is that fair? That's fair. Um, I'm not here to um, get into a discussion on this as far as, well, I'm right, you're wrong, but this is the way I read the Bible. This is the way I see it, and um, just ask that your your like Brother Hart said, you know, open your heart, open your heart, and um, let's see where this goes. Um, I see I've got a monitor here, and you've got a screen up there. I wish we could just turn you all around so that you look at those little monitors, and I get the chance to look at the big one. <laughs> so I may have to do some reading from here. Um, I mentioned to the folks in the sound booth earlier that if I do turn around and read, the back of my head is actually better than the front. <laughs> and so um, you're probably getting to see the best of me. Job asked the question, if a man die, shall he live again? If a man dies, shall he live again? And then he makes this statement, and this was in the, where he was afraid of dying. He was very sick. All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. I'm waiting for my button to work. 
There's a lot of buttons on this thing. Should I just push any? Oh, there we go. Okay. I'm a student also. I'm learning. The Bible is a book of expanding revelation and the inspired stories of chosen people who God used to bring his word to. The story of Job is considered to be the oldest book in the Bible, and its events happened before the time of Moses, who actually wrote the book of Genesis. Job did not have a written Bible to use as a reference for his questions. He couldn't say, well, let's flip over to see what Peter has to say about this. He didn't have any scripture, but he had a relationship with God. And he felt that if there was a God that had made man, that we were not just a temporary plaything, but there was some permanence to this thing called life. If a man dies, will he live again? And I might have to point, I think I have to point that that way. We read in Genesis, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till it return to the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. These are the words of God to Adam. You're dust, and you're going back where you came from. If a person only had the early questions of Job and the harsh reality of the first human couple who were formed from the dust and who at death would return to the dust, then it would seem that death could be the end. If that's all we had was Job's question and God's response to Adam, that's not a lot of hope. There's not a lot of hope. But then we get to the Ecclesiastes, as God begins to reveal to his prophets, or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. These are some flowery words having to do with death. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. Humans are more than dust. God breathed upon Adam the breath of life. Adam became a living soul. He's more than just a clump and a cluster of dirt. He's a living soul. God breathed eternal spirit into this man. We were made for life and not for death. When we get to Isaiah, it says, Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs. The earth shall cast out the dead. If a man die, he will live again. The dust will be cast out. We're going to live somewhere. By the time we get to the prophecies of Isaiah, the revelation of the resurrection from the dead is clearly shown in God's word. Death is not the end. Satan did not defeat nor destroy God's creation that he had placed in the Garden of Eden. Life triumphs over death. If death was the end, the devil wins. But the devil is never going to be triumphed 
over God. We get to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, For just as all people die because of their union with Adam, in the same way all will be raised to life because of their union with Christ. But each one will be raised in proper order. Christ first of all. Then at the time of his coming, those who belong to him. This is so important. Those that belong to Christ, those that are in Christ, have a hope. If I knew that I was going to be resurrected and I was not a Christian and I was going to stand before God, that's a scary thought. But knowing that I have been robed with Christ's righteousness and that I have a hope and I don't have to stand before him ashamed because the blood washes away my sins, this is good news. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead are going to rise first. I want you to notice a couple things on this slide. I don't have an angel blowing the trumpet. And it's actually not a trumpet, it's a shofar. <laughs> but that's the way it was translated in the King James Version. We'll go with the trumpet. <laughs> this is called the resurrection. But each one will be raised in proper order. Christ, first of all, then at the time of his coming, those who belong to him. This is the resurrection from the dead. Now, we're not here to talk about just the resurrection from the dead. But I want you to understand the difference between somebody who's dead when that trumpet sounds or somebody who's alive when that trumpet sounds. Now, a lot of people get involved in the discussion of, is the church going through the tribulation? Is the church going to be going through the wrath? If you're dead, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Think about that. That is a non-issue for a dead person. But we who are alive and remain, and if you're planning on being here when the trumpet sounds, it's a good question. But if you're planning on dying before Jesus returns, don't debate that topic. You're not even going to be around to worry about it. Amen? Okay. Okay. Paul writes, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We're going to have to take a closer look at that sleep. Okay? We shall not all sleep. Well, depends on how long I keep you here tonight, I guess. <laughs> but what's he talking about? And what is this changed that he brings up here? What does that mean, I'm going to be changed? Jesus said unto them, and I'm just look, looking at a story where Lazarus died. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. You can see him lying there in bed, taking a good nap, wrapped up, head and toe. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then his disciples said his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. 
But they thought that he was speaking of taking a rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, hey guys, he's dead. I didn't want to worry you. <laughs> but sleep is death. Death is sleep. We shall not all sleep. That's a nice way of saying we're not all going to die. But deal with it. If the Lord tarries, we're all going to die. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed. What does that specifically mean, changed? Let's take a look in Hebrews chapter 1. I want to look at the word changed. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture, or a piece of clothing, thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same. Thy years shall not fail. Only God is eternal, eternal and unchanging. We have to go through a change. There has to be a change in all of creation. The Bible says even the heavens are not clean in his sight. You're going to have to go through a change. Now, my wife and I, we've had some discussion about this. I don't, I'm bragging on my wife, I don't see that she needs a whole lot of fixing. I don't know how she's going to recognize me up there. <laughs> I've got some changes to do. Now, you guys, you better be talking that way to your wives. Okay? That's some marriage counseling. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now let's take a look at Hebrews 11:5 from the same book, the same author. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Anybody here bilingual? Everybody. We're all bilingual. I'm bilingual. You're all bilingual. We know what translation means, right? If I were to speak in another language, Namasaya Mel Berglund, I akutingle di Tacoma. If I speak in another language, somebody could stand up here and translate that. It would have the same meaning, but it would be different, right? Okay. Translation means changed from one form into another. As a matter of fact, that's the way King James translated it. But look at this. For the priesthood being changed in Hebrew 7, and Enoch was translated, it's the same Greek word. Okay, so Enoch was changed when he was not. Something took place made him different. We're all going to experience that. And this is what that change is going to look like. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know. But we know. We're going to get better. Now are we the sons of God. But sometimes you get on my nerves. <laughs> now are we the sons of God. But I'm going to let you down occasionally. Now are we the sons of God, but you're going to have to deal with me, and I'm going to have to deal with you. 
because we're not perfect yet. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. If you get into an argument with someone in heaven, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> because at that point, we're changed and we're going to be perfect like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. You have a hope that someday you're going to be like Christ. And it's all the reason in the world to treat yourself decent. You shouldn't hate yourself. You're going to get better. You're going to get better. And you don't have to walk them all three times to get better. <laughs> I can just imagine what kind of abs I'm going to have in heaven. <laughs> I hear my wife praying for that. <laughs> Now, she's doing it in tongues, but I didn't know. <laughs> oh, boy, the rapture. Now, we've talked about the resurrection. We've talked about the dead people being changed and going up to be with the Lord. Now we want to talk about the rapture. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is the part that gets... A bit unusual when you stop and think of it or look at some of the pictures that have been drawn. I have a relative. She's a, she's a Christian, and she doesn't want to die. She's a little older than me, and I'm 70. And if Jesus don't hurry up, we're, we're pushing the envelope on this one. And she wants to go in the rapture so bad. And I've asked her, what do you want to go in that rapture for? She goes, I'm afraid to die. I said, have you ever thought about being 30,000 feet up in the air without an airplane? That's a little scary too. Suddenly I'm up in the clouds and I'm looking around for family. Like, oh sure, there's my wife way over there. Oh, she's going off in that direction. I don't know what the rapture is going to be like, but I got a feeling God's going to somehow handle those issues. I don't know what death is going to be like, but I'm not that worried about that either. If I could just lay in bed, listen to music, and have my wife rubbing my feet, honey, I'm ready to go. We should have no fear one way or the other. Whether we go in the resurrection or whether we go on that there sky ride, it's all good. Because we're in Christ and we have this hope. We're going to be changed and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall, under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep, dead. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There'll be no parting there, no jokes about combs. Deliverance of the church. The purpose of the rapture is deliverance. The purpose of the resurrection is just to get them folks up there. But the purpose of the rapture is deliverance. We wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath 
to come. There is a deliverance in the rapture. Again, this is why we're not going to be splitting hairs on all of this stuff. Just know it. It's a good thing. You're going to be happy to be getting out when you get out. It's a good thing. And it's called deliverance. And we're delivered from the wrath to come. The horrible things that are going to come, something bad's going to happen, and we're not going to be here to worry about it. Ooh, there we go now. Titus, Paul writes, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. I believe these are two different incidents. The blessed hope is what we're talking about. We're not going to be in the grave forever. The blessed hope is we're going to be delivered from the wrath to come. That's a lot of hope. But the glorious appearing is not when he comes in the clouds, but it's when he shows up on the planet as king of kings and lord of lords. There's a difference between coming for and returning with. We have to understand that. He comes for his church. Later, he returns with his church. We should not be confused about that. And in between the blessed hope and the glorious appearing is a time of tribulation. And I believe that that is what we are delivered from. Not going to be around for that. It's escape for the church. And when they shall say peace and safety, who are they? Well, it's not us, it's them. I know who they are because I know who we are and we are not they. I mean, this is a basic English. <laughs> For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. It's travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But then again, how shall we escape? Well, if we neglect so great salvation, we're in the same boat as they are. Don't neglect salvation. How do you neglect salvation? You don't pray. You don't read your Bible. You don't go to church. You don't fellowship with the Lord. You don't fellowship with your brothers and sisters. You don't think about God. That's neglecting salvation. How are you going to escape? Take it serious. This is the most serious thing you're doing in your entire life. Because nothing else you're doing has eternal consequences but this. Nothing else. How will we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? We can escape, but we cannot neglect. Spared, saved, and delivered. God spared not the old world, but saved Noah. He didn't spare the old world, but he spared Noah, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and delivered Lot. You can be spared. You can be saved. You can be delivered. You can be like Noah in the ark. You can be like Lot running for your life. 
But you can be spared from what's going to come. You can be saved. The devil may tell you you can't be saved. You're not going to be saved. You're not good enough to be saved. You've got to be saved. You can't listen to that. You got to get up and get going with God. You got to keep going, keep going. Keep telling yourself, spared, saved, delivered. That's my goal. When Abraham heard what God was going to do to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, that they were going to be destroyed, and he had family down there, Abraham was like, God, let's talk. Now, this is real prayer. You know, this is not like I got a you know, five-minute talk with Jesus, set my egg timer. You know, this is real serious. That's family down there that's going to be lost. Abraham pleaded with God, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, that the righteous should be as the wicked? That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God, it doesn't seem fair. You're going to destroy the wicked and there's going to be some collateral damage? <laughs> Friendly fire? You know, God was shooting for the bad people, but the good people got in the way. Well, those things happen. God's better than that. God is not going to destroy and judge the righteous with the wicked. As a matter of fact, it says the Lord knows how to deliver. He knows how to do this. He's good at this. He's been delivering and he doesn't even work for Amazon. And he's not a pizza driver, but God knows how to deliver. God can do it. God can take care of it. You know, when we pray and we ask God for something, do we ever think this is too hard for God? God, I got a tough one here. I got something. That you're probably going to have to get the angels. That's not the God I serve. God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be judged or punished. But what is this business of temptation? In the book of Revelation, Jesus gives this advice to a church. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. The tribulation is the temptation. Think about that. It's the hour, not of tribulation, it's also the hour of temptation. There's going to be such strong deception. It's going to be so complicated that you can't figure it out. And to be honest, you know, I talk to folks that say, well, I'm ready to go through the tribulation. What do you got, like 100 pounds of beans somewhere hidden in the garage? You got a couple cases of water? Let me tell you, it's going to be a lot worse than anything you can imagine, and it will be a temptation for you to take that mark to save your wife and kids. And I don't know if you're strong enough to handle that. And you know, Jesus thinks the best thing for you is don't go there. Don't go there. Your beans and your water and your margarine, and your hiding places, and all your guns and bullets ain't going to save you. If Jesus don't save you, you're in trouble. That's I don't know how to say it. It's a temptation. It's a temptation to the flesh. I've talked to people, they say, I'm tough, I can handle this. You're a fool. You can handle this. You can handle it. 
Paul writes to the church about this very thing. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. He said, we want to talk clearly here, he says. Let's talk about the coming of the Lord in us, the church, gathering together unto him. Not in a meeting like this, but in a meeting in the clouds, around the throne. Let's get serious about this. We beseech you, let's have this conversation, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, ooh, spooky spirits, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. He told them, if somebody has told you that the day of Christ is at hand, whether it's some prophecy they got, whether it's some dream they had, whether it's some special revelation, he says, it's nonsense. You don't have to have somebody tell you you missed it. You don't have to have somebody tell you, here it is. Because something has to happen first. And I want you to follow me on this, but we're not going to finish this concept tonight. Let, mo let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be an apostasia. There has to be an apostasia. You say, well, what's an apostasia? Any Greek experts here? This is not a complicated word. It starts with A-P-O. Apostle. Okay. But do you know what that apostasia, he says apostasy. Do you know what that means? We'll get to it later. No man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be an apostasia first. The man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth, he exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things? This is interesting. The apostle Paul was not with them for many years. But when he was with them, he taught them. He taught them about who Jesus is. He taught them about holy living. He taught them about salvation. And he taught them about the things I'm talking to you about right now. This is the stuff Paul felt was important to get into the church. And if there's those that say, well, I don't know that we should talk about this stuff. We need to talk about this stuff. Or I don't know if the people are mature enough to hear this stuff. This is not for the mature. This is for even young believers. You need to know about this stuff. It's in your Bible, and the Apostle Paul got it to them early on in their Christian walk. Continuing to read Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he says, And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth will let. He had just said that we don't have to worry about that day coming because there's going to be an apostasia first. And after the apostasia, 
Then that man of sin is going to be revealed. Then it's going to happen, but there's something withholding. And what is withholding keeps him from being revealed. The Antichrist can't be revealed as long as something is withholding. For the mystery of iniquity is already at work. Only he who now letteth. I wish they had translated this differently. So let's work on that a little bit. Withholdeth is the same Greek word is letteth. Okay, that helps. Now let's go to Luke and Thessalonians. It talked about they stayed him, that he should not depart. When you stay someone so that they cannot depart, can we experiment here? Brother, stand up. I need you to walk down to the end of the hall. Go. Good luck with that. <laughs> There's like a couple hundred pounds of meat holding you back. <laughs> I stayed him. Hold fast that which is good. I held him fast. I withholded him. I left it. King James language. Okay? So let's keep working on this. Letteth is the same word in Luke and in Thessalonians. This translated stayed or hold fast. And it basically means restrain. And so now let's look at this. We know what restrains that the Antichrist can't be revealed. For the mystery of iniquity already is at work. Only he who is restraining will continue to restrain. Holding fast and holding him tight. The Antichrist cannot, even though the mystery of iniquity is at work in our world, he can't get away with it as long as he's being held, restrained. He's literally in handcuffs. And it's the church that keeps him there. I personally believe Hitler could have been the Antichrist because the mystery of iniquity already was at work. I personally believe Napoleon could have been the Antichrist because the mystery of iniquity was already at work. I personally believe the devil has set up probably a dozen guys for the job and every one of them died unfulfilled because of the church. Because the church... Is doing its job. And we're holding things back. Let me say this. Political season's coming. And it's going to get weird. Because you're going to vote for this guy, you're going to vote for that guy. You're going to care about this cause, you're going to care about that cause. If you, brothers and sisters, want to know how to help your community, how to help this state, how to help this nation, it's not politics. It's evangelism. That's what we need to be doing. It's talking about Jesus. It's praying people through to the Holy Ghost. We don't need to be going to pep rallies for politicians trying to think that somehow they're going to fix this mess. They're not going to hold back the devil. But we know how to hold back the devil. Oh, that is good. <laughs> we are restraining him until we are taken out of the way. Here again, it says, Paul departed from among them. 
We are going to depart from among them. It's the same Greek word. Taken out of the way is departing from among them. When we depart, the handcuffs fall off the devil. He's no longer restrained. And what does Paul say? And then shall that wicked be revealed. No handcuffs. Whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. He is going to be free to do his will on this planet. When the church is gone, the handcuffs are off, and you don't want to be there. Let me tell you something. I can't imagine a worse fate than to be a backslider left behind. Because not only have you been abandoned by God, the devil's got your mark. He hates you, and you owe him a pound of flesh. You don't want to be that backslider left behind. I got a feeling it's going to be worse for you than anybody. What held back the floodwaters? Anybody ever think about that? What held back the floodwaters? Why didn't it rain? Noah's building a boat, but you know, he took a long time on that boat. But what held back the waters? The Bible tells us God waited patiently during the days that Noah was building the ark. God's patient while the ark gets built. God says, well, you know, we don't need a bottom on that boat. Let's bring down the rain. God's got time. God's got time. Build the ark. God's got time. He waited patiently for 100 years, 150 years. What holds back the tribulation period? What is the restrainer? Well, it says in this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. God waits patiently while you put a dollar into the sheaves for Christ envelope. God waits patiently while you decide whether or not you're going to teach a home Bible study to your neighbor. God waits patiently. And I sometimes wonder about God's patience. I'm a numbers guy. I'm excited about, I mentioned Sheaves for Christ, now it's called Move the Mission. And it talked about how much money was donated by the United Pentecostal Church for Move the Missions, which is to help missionaries. And when you realize how many people are members of the United Pentecostal Church around the world, and then you look at the offering that was given, and it's in the millions of dollars, do you realize that everyone in the United Pentecostal Church last year gave 50 cents to move the missions. 50 cents. Are we serious? God help us. God's patient. God's counting. Clock's ticking. But we really need to get going on this boat. I can just hear Noah bringing his boys, Ham, Shem, Japheth. Come on, guys. Let's have a talk. A week ago, you guys were cutting that board. And you're still cutting that board. And I know God is patient. But I also know God's no fool. And he knows we're slacking. And God knows when the church is on fire, 
And God knows when the church is asleep. And I'm not talking about dead. I'm talking about asleep. We need to get all excited about this. The believers who are withholding, restraining, and holding fast will continue to do so until they are taken out of the way. Those overcoming believers bring the gospel to the whole world and in doing so prevent the devil from fulfilling his plans on earth. And they, that's us, will be delivered prior to the time of great temptation and judgment. And look at that. Intermission. Take a short break.